Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. Hey, Proof listeners, it's Bridget, and I want to tell you about something I think you're going to love. It's NakedWines.com. They bring delicious, affordable wines straight from independent winemakers directly to your home. Unlike the big wine retailers, NakedWines.com is a customer-funded wine business. With the help of the more than 100,000-member angel community, NakedWines.com supports independent winemakers to make their passion projects. And you can become an angel, too, with a monthly membership so you can support independent winemakers and get access to delicious, exclusive wines in return. Go to NakedWines.com proof for $50 off your first order. It's one of the most fundamental cases in uh, the whole of uh, Scots law and the law of the United Kingdom and the law of many legal systems around the world. One night in Paisley, Scotland, almost a century ago, would change everything. The events of that evening would pave the way for an increasingly globalized world. It would allow for public trust in a time when food supply chains were growing longer and longer. That's one of the reasons why we can, with confidence now, go and buy ginger beer or cakes or food of any description in, with a degree of security and confidence. This is Michael Clancy. I'm Michael Clancy. I'm Director of Law Reform at the Law Society of Scotland. According to Michael, this night in Paisley is studied by law students to this very day in the UK, US, Canada, and Australia. Before this case, consumer protection was very, very limited. The case is Donahue v. Stevenson. So it's a constant uh, theme uh, because of its fame as a case, because of its importance, uh, and of course, we know the outcome. May Donahue was... An unremarkable woman. She lived an unremarkable life. She was a poor shop assistant, recently separated from her husband, a proud mother to her son Henry, but otherwise unremarkable and unnoticed. And this evening, the 26th of August, 1928, was the same as any. Another exhausting end to another exhausting day. It rained as it often did. The tram had been late as it often was. Well, Meadow Street. Thank you. Good day, ma'am. But May wouldn't be unremarkable for much longer, because the events of the coming evening would change everything. Not only the course of her life, they would change the world. After you, ma'am. Thank you. Oh, so sorry I'm late. I was kept long at the shop. The tram was late. Oh, God, I came as quick as I could. Oh, it's no bother. I ordered for you. Your favourite. Oh, thank you. <laughs> May's favourite was ice cream with ginger beer, otherwise known as the Scotsman ice cream float. A small comfort in an otherwise chaotic life. May tries, unsuccessfully, to hide her relief that her friend has already paid the bill. So, how are you? Ah, <laughs> I don't know. 
was furious when Henry asked me to move out of the flat, but... It's strange. I suppose I'm feeling a bit of relief. Aye. That makes sense. Pear and ice for you. And an ice cream with ginger beer for you. Thank you. I don't know how I'll manage it all. Keeping up the shop, looking after the rain. We're barely scraping by as it is. Your laddie will be fine. We'll figure it out, as we always do. Aye. If you say so. I must say I'm rather tired of always having to figure it out. Could you pass the ginger beer? Here. Ta. As May emptied her bottle of ginger beer, something escaped the bottle and plopped into her glass. What is that? Uh, I'm not sure. It looks like a... <gasps> As May peered down into her glass... She couldn't believe what she saw. Floating on the surface of her ginger beer was a small snail, or whatever was left of it. Its fractured shell and partially decomposed flesh bobbed up and down in the wake of the fizzing carbonation. Me, you don't look so good. I think I'm going to be sick. May Donahue spent the rest of the night in agony the decomposed snail haunting her dreams as her stomach turned. The next day, May worked in the shop, exhausted from her sleepless night. Hello. Hello. Uh, that'll be uh, five shilling. <sighs> Suddenly, May was overcome with nausea. Her face burned hot, she clutched the counter as the whole world began to spin around her. Ma'am? Ma'am? Ma'am, are you all right? We better get us some help. Ma'am, you need a doctor. Can you hear me? Ma'am? Ma'am? Tell me what happened. Uh, I, uh, I ate something. Ma'am, what did you eat? The, the, Can you hear me? That was a, a snail. Uh, Ma'am, what did you eat? <sighs> Mrs. Donahue, you're suffering from shock and severe gastroenteritis due to what you have eaten. You must return home and remain in bed. Your body needs rest. May Donahue stayed bedridden for weeks, and her situation didn't improve much. That small snail, floating in her bubbling ginger beer ice cream float, had wreaked havoc on her health. Hey. Oh, my poor dear, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. You're a doll for coming to visit. I brought you some scotch broth. May, you're as thin as a veal. May looked down at her hands and was shocked at the sight of them. For the first time in years, she saw the protrusion of her knuckles. That damn snail. I can't eat. I can barely drink. I can't go to work. I don't know what I'll do. 
it's not right this is happening to you. Things like this always happen to folk like us and they didn't care. Aye. Just then, May was struck with the realization that her dear friend was right. She wasn't a person of means. She was actually quite poor, and she had been really knocked for six by this uh, bout of being unwell, and she attributed it to the consumption of this decomposing snail. May's snail-induced gastroenteritis had caused her to lose her job, piling on top of her existing struggles. But it was her tenacity that would ultimately make her one of the most studied legal cases in history. Partly it's just a great story, right? Having this woman finding a snail in the ginger beer. This is Erica Chamberlain. My name is Erica Chamberlain. I'm a professor and dean at the Faculty of Law at the University of Western Ontario. Erica learned about May Donahue, as most students do, in her first-year torts class. And so we spent a long time talking about Donahue and Stevenson. And so I kind of fell in love with the case then. The difficulty she had is that the law at the time said that only someone who had a contract with the manufacturer was able to sue for a defective product. And in her case, she was several links removed in the contractual chain because the manufacturer had sold the ginger beer to the retailer, who then sold it to Mrs. Donahue's friend and then given it to her. And so under the law, as it stood at the time, she had no uh, legal claim. You know, I think one of the things that's really fascinating about Donahue and Stevenson is that it is this, you know, average person who took on a manufacturer and, and changed the law. May approached the law office of Walter Leachman for her appointment at 12 o'clock noon. She was wearing the finest shoes she owned, but she was aware of how old and scruffy they looked in the lobby of a fine solicitor. She smoothed her hair as she approached reception. Hello. Uh, I have an appointment. Mr. Leachman will see you shortly. Take a seat, Mrs. Donahue. Walter Leachman was the solicitor that everyone recommended. A man pushing 60 and facing retirement. May shifted in her seat and examined the waiting room. It was crowded with overstuffed cabinets and framed certificates. What was she thinking? He'd probably laugh at her. A snail in a soda is hardly important. Just another in the long line of mishaps in May Donahue's life. Her hat pin dug into her skull. Go through to Mr. Leachman's office now, Mrs. Donahue. Thank you. Oh, please take a seat. Uh, Mrs. Donahue, is it? With what can I help you? Walter Leachman didn't raise his eyes from his papers. His brow furrowed, still lost in the details of his previous appointment. It's a matter relating to an incident at the Well Meadow Cafe in Paisley, sir. I get short-changed or something, did you? Not quite. You see, I've been ill. <sighs> May could feel her cheeks glowing hot with frustration. She glanced at the door. And, uh, well, my pal ordered me an ice cream float. Mm, how delightful. Did you have it with scoosh? Aye, it was ginger beer. Manufactured by a, um, 
Uh, I'm a Mr. Stevenson of Glen Lane Paisley. And you see, I was drinking some, and then when I poured more from the bottle, a wee snail came out and fell right into me. Uh, a snail, did you say? Aye, sir. I could see its shell. And you say you've been ill? Aye. And your friend bought the item in question, not yourself? Aye, sir, that's right. <laughs> Why? This is wonderful news. That I found a snail in my drink. A snail, a slug, rat, gastropods, vermin, arthropods, any would do. <laughs> it may be a surprise that a serious man like Walter Leachman would be interested in May Donahue. After all, she's just an unremarkable woman who happened to ingest a bit of snail. But Mr. Leachman had been waiting years for someone like May Donahue to walk into his office. Isn't it strange, Mrs. Donahue? The world has changed so quickly. There are motor cars outside in the street. My office now has electric lights and typewriters. I don't know if I follow your meaning. A man can manufacture thousands of bottles of ginger beer, deliver it to someone, and then someone else, and then someone else, who sells it to someone like you. And then that man can claim no responsibility for the contents of that ginger beer. Mrs. Donahue, I will take on your case, and I will do my darndest to win it. Mrs. Donahue was getting into groundbreaking law-making territory uh, by taking this case. It seems odd now to think that in 1927, if you bought a bottle of ginger beer uh, where it turned out that there was a dead mouse in it, uh, that you would have no remedy against the manufacturer. That just doesn't seem right. Mr. Leachman was well aware of the law, and he knew that it ought to change. In fact, Walter Leachman had made a career of taking cases in the effort to challenge consumer law. Leachman had actually brought a claim against the bar company, B-A-R-R, that's, which is, I think, still an existing soft drink company. And so there, there had already been a similar case where the plaintiffs had found mice in their lemonade and sued, and they were unsuccessful, actually. But May Donahue and her decomposed snail offered Mr. Leachman another chance. When you think about the kind of, you know, general store that people used to go to, right? If I wanted flour, the person would measure it out in front of me, right? And I could see where the flour was coming from, and I trust my shopkeeper. But now you're buying things because of the label on the product, and you start having a closer relationship with the manufacturer uh, because you're buying the product based on the, the reputation of the manufacturer. Things were changing very quickly, and uh, the entire understanding of where the law stood in relation to these changes in society and technology uh, was something which uh, people were coming to grips with. So, as the food supply chain grew longer and longer, May Donahue and Walter Leachman prepared to fight to make that supply chain safe. Over the next year, May returned to Walter Leachman's office as frequently as she could. Morning, Elspeth. I brought you a seed cake. Thank you, May. That's so kind of you. Mrs. Donahue, oh, a pleasure as always to see you. Come this way. Now, last night I was thinking... Oh, but you're sodden wet. I, I didn't realise the heavens had opened. Uh, come, warm your hind by my hearth. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Leachman. Dry yourself out here. Now, 
I've issued our writ against Mr. Stevenson, the drinks manufacturer, which means it won't be long until we are called to court. Now, Mr. Stevenson will say that he can't possibly control what goes into each and every bottle of ginger beer. We need to argue that it was his negligence that caused your illness, that he shouldn't believe in his ginger beer bottles where snails and the slimy trails of snail are frequently found, and that he must ensure the contents are safe before distributing them across the whole of Scotland. And... If he chose to sell his drink in clear bottles only, then a person would have half a chance of checking what was in it before drinking it. Quite right, Mrs Donoghue. A most excellent point. Let me jot that down before I forget. Now, we need to decide on the amount we wish to claim in damages and costs. I propose £500. 500 quid. But I only earn 30 shillings a week. My dear Mrs Donoghue, your life is worth an awful lot more than that. Think of the loss of earnings as you could not attend your workplace when you were sick and the corresponding termination of your contract. I, I, I suppose that's right, but I can get another job. I... And, and, and think about the damage to your health. Please, take no offence when I tell you that when I first met you, you were nothing more than a bag of bones. And I believe that this was the result of your illness. No offence taken. Not to mention the permanent damage to your nerves. Why, I, I can't even pour a drink in front of you without you flinching. I, I think £500 is a most suitable amount. Well, if you put it like that, perhaps I'm worth more than I thought. Week after week, May returned to Walter's office while they pored over the details of the case. What items were ordered? A pear ice and an ice cream float with ginger beer. Hmm. Who was it who purchased the drinks? It was my friend who purchased the drink on my behalf. Excellent. This will be of key importance, you see. This is a new area of law that we are entering. That those who consume the product should also be protected. What does that mean? It means we have our work cut out for us. Now, tell me again. What time did the incident occur and at what date? It was 8.50pm on Sunday 26th of August. I can confirm the time because we were having a wee drink before catching the 9.30 Stay tuned after the break. Many people are stuck at home, including us at America's Test Kitchen. Welcome to America's Test Kitchen at home. It's a good day today. Just gonna put this in our food processor and buzz it for five to seven pulses until it's coarsely chopped. <laughs> I'm gonna plug it in too, that's always good. And again, things may catch on fire. It happens. The power went out, we broke some dishes, and the lights are flickering. Which means a lot of us are spending more time in our kitchens. Upgrade your kitchen with Kohler's new Crew Touchless Kitchen Faucet. It turns on with a simple wave of your hand. Its innovative and discreet technology activates the faucet instantly and reliably. It's clean, sophisticated, and most importantly, hygienic. If you're cooking at home more than ever, you might as well enjoy it. Learn more at Kohler.com. Our friends at OXO make kitchen tools to make every day better. 
Senior product manager Jamie Levy says the new Oxo Brew 8-cup coffee maker can make your coffee better, too. In the area where the coffee is brewed, there's a shower head. It controls the flow of the water coming from the boiler, so it's going to distribute the water evenly over the coffee bed and ensure even saturation and extraction of the coffee. If you have under-extracted, over-extracted, or unevenly extracted, you're not going to get the best flavors. So it's important to make sure that the coffee bed is getting saturated evenly every time. Who doesn't want great coffee? Learn more about OXO's newest coffee line, OXO Brew, at oxo.com brew. That's oxo.com brew. OXO. Better. Guaranteed. Hi, Proof listeners. The holiday season is here, and that means it's cranberry season. Today, I'm calling my America's Test Kitchen colleague, Brian Roof, to find out how he plans to use cranberries this year. Hey, Brian. Hey, Bridget. How's it going? (laughs) Good. So, Brian, what's on your cranberry lineup this year? This year for cranberries, I'm doing a cranberry orange olive oil cake. Ooh, that sounds good. It's a delicious, tender cake, sweet buttercream, and kind of a sweet, tart cranberry curd. You get a nice tartness, but there's sugar and there's orange in there to balance it out. It's something about it really sings against the buttercream. Bring together ingredients that make your ocean spray cranberries sing. For more information and recipes, visit oceanspray.com. Hey, Proof listeners. This is Jack Bishop, and I'm here to talk to you about Miyoko's Creamery and their new vegan cheddar cheese. I recently had the opportunity to taste the cheese with the America's Test Kitchen cookbook team. So we're just tasting these and talking about them and seeing what we think about flavor, texture. We evaluated the cheese on flavor and texture. We were really impressed. We felt like they had a little pull to them when they were melted. The cheddar, I think, is like... the cheddar actually tastes a little... Tastes like cheddar. Yeah. Tastes like cheddar. Do you like it? Yeah, I actually do. Most vegan cheeses on the market are waxy in texture. They have these off flavors. Miyoko's cheddar tastes like dairy cheddar, and it melts like dairy cheddar. If you enjoy eating plant-based dishes like I do, this cheese is a reason to celebrate. It's made from natural ingredients, so it's good for the planet and good for you. Learn more at Miyoko's.com. That's M-I-Y-O-K-O-S dot com. Now, back to our story. The date of the court of session in Edinburgh arrived. No witnesses were called and May didn't testify, but she still went to court to hear the verdict. On reflection, the court has decided that as Mrs. Donahue did not purchase the item in question, then she has no recourse under law. We therefore find in favour of Mr. Stevenson, and no damages need be paid. May crumpled. She had been convinced that Mr. Leachman was right, that the law would be on her side. She headed out of the courtroom and back to her rented room. Good morning, Mrs. Donahue. Where is he? Uh, Mrs. Donahue, please, slow down. You can't just walk straight. Mr. Leachman! Mrs. Donahue, are you quite all right? No, I am far from all right. You told me we would win this case, Mr. Leachman. You told me that I would be compensated for all the anguish I have been through. I came here month after month to work and prepare, and it was, it was all a fantasy. 
I am a laughing stock. A laughing stock? What do you mean? Read this. The writing that I am poor and money hungry, that there was no snail, it was only my fancy, that I'm a big thing, that I separated from my husband because I have ideas above my station. But you are poor, Mrs. Donahue, and I must tell the you... The cheek of it. I have a very good mind. Let me continue. You are poor, but the law should not be there only to protect people who are rich enough to afford it. Anyone, be they street sweeper or countess, should be able to consume an item with the good knowledge that it will do them no harm. But that is not what the court decided. We have other options. We could take this further. Take this further? I wish I'd never come to see you, Mr Leachman. My life has been no end of trouble since we began. Your troubles began with that wee snail in a soda. And if we do not fight this, what happens next time you have a ginger beer and a worm slips out? Or your son is given a sweetie which is accidentally laced with arsenic? Unless these manufacturers are held to account, they will continue with their slapdash practices and you will never be able to trust what is in the food and drink you consume. And why should you carry the burden of that risk? But these journalists are saying they don't even believe me that there was no snail in my drink. This is no longer about the snail. It is about the law. That anyone who makes items is a duty of care to those who use them. Look, I've been reading about this man, Lord Atkin. See, here is a record of a speech Lord Atkin made at King's College, London. British law lays down standards of honesty and plain dealing between man and man. And he goes on. Man is not to injure his neighbour by acts of negligence. Uh, Mr Stevenson isn't my neighbour. He lives nowhere near me. And I've never met him. But nonetheless, he shouldn't hurt me. Exactly. I think we should take this case to the highest court we can. The House of Lords. London? But won't that be expensive? Well, yes. But there is one way. There would be no court fees if you were to declare yourself a pauper. Oh, uh, Mr Leachman, but the papers are already saying that I'm poor. What would my family think if I declared myself a pauper? If May declared herself a pauper, everyone in her parish would know that she had separated from her husband and that she was struggling to support her son. It would be a great humiliation and an act of bravery. I understand you have been through a lot, Mrs. Donahue, but we must believe that the law of this land is there to protect people. If you can change the law, then think about how many other folks' hardships you could prevent. I would hate for other folk to suffer like I have. If I were to agree, how would we do this? You must write to your minister and elders of the church and ask them to sign a certificate of poverty. Declaring yourself a pauper in those days was really bad. My grandmother, we called her Granny, she was a very formidable lady. This is Maggie Tomlin. I'm Maggie Tomlin and I am May Donoghue's granddaughter. 
I'm just still amazed that I never knew about this story. Maggie Tomlin only found out about the case of the snail and the ginger beer a few years ago after both Mae Donahue and her son, Maggie's father, had passed away. My dad was a, a very quiet man, and also my grandmother was divorced, which in those times in Scotland um, wasn't something that was really advertised. So I don't even I don't even think my mother knew about it. And at first, Maggie, like the journalists in the 1930s, had her doubts about the story. Is this true? Was she making it up? Was she doing it? I don't know, to benefit money, because I'm quite cynical myself. So I was more surprised than anything that my father hadn't told me, and that all these years I'd never known about it. Maggie Tomlin thinks that her grandmother took the brave step of declaring herself a pauper in order to protect the next generation. She had my dad to think of, and I think it might have been something to do with that. My dad was 15. He was working, probably. My father worked in the shipyards um, in those days. So perhaps because I know that my granny, she loved my dad very much. He was her life. And so perhaps she thought, well, in order to give her son a better life, that maybe this is why she did it. I would say it's down to her tenacity for right and wrong. Because I've got that in me, very much so, that if a wrong's been done, I don't think it's right, and I will take it all the way. On December 10th, 1931, several of the greatest legal minds of this century met in the House of Lords in London, hundreds of miles away from Mrs. Donahue and Mr. Leachman. The Lords sat in a room overlooking the gardens on the Thames and arrived at their decision. And a few days later, a record of that meeting arrived by mail to the law office of Walter Leachman. Is it here? Good morning. Mrs. Donahue? Mr. Leachman, is it here? It's here. I was waiting for you to read it. Come, take a seat, Mrs. Donahue. In that moment, May Donahue made a pact with herself that she would accept the House of Lords' decision, whatever it may be. Because, despite her tattered shoes, she sat in Walter Leachman's fine office, knowing that she belonged there as much as any other man or woman. I'm ready. Hi. So it appears Lord Buckmaster began. He says, let's see here. My lords, the facts of this case are simple. On 26th of August 1928, the appellant drank a bottle of ginger beer, manufactured by the respondent, which a friend had bought from a retailer and given to her. The bottle contained the decomposed remains of a snail, which were not... Lord Buckmaster went on to mention several other similar cases. An exploding lamp, a noxious hair wash, and, much like this case a decomposed mouse in a soda bottle. None of these resulted in damages being paid, and therefore... I am of opinion that this appeal should be dismissed, and I beg to move your lordships accordingly. Well, that's ridiculous. Just just because all the other decisions were so... It doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Times change. The law should change with it. 
I have patience, Mrs. Donoghue. We're not through yet. It appears Lord Thankerton spoke next. Let me see that. Lord Thankerton. For a manufacturer to store his empty bottles in a place where snails can get access to them and to fill his bottles without taking any adequate precautions by inspection or otherwise to ensure that they contain no deleterious foreign matter may reasonably be characterised as carelessness without applying too exacting a standard. The question is, does the manufacturer owe a duty to take care and to whom does he owe that duty? This is good. Let's see what our Lord Atkin has to say. We're coming to his verdict. In law, the rule to love your neighbour becomes you must not injure your neighbour. But law does not answer the question, who is my neighbour? The answer seems to be persons who are so closely and directly affected by my act that I ought reasonably to have them in contemplation. Mr. Stevenson places himself in a relationship with all the potential consumers of his commodities, and that relationship which he assumes and desires for his own ends imposes upon him a duty to take care to avoid injuring them. What is a neighbor? A neighbor doesn't have to live on the same street as you, or even be someone that you know. Lord Atkin is saying here that as soon as Mr. Stevenson distributed his ginger beer soda across Scotland, in that moment, he invited any consumer of his product to become his neighbor. And he has a duty to take care to do them no harm. Mr. Leachman, does that mean what I think it means? I'm accordingly of opinion that this appeal appeal should should be be allowed. The case goes to Mrs. Mrs. Donahue of Glasgow, Scotland. Mr. Leachman! We've done it! I can't believe they agreed! Oh, May, this is just wonderful! The House of Lords ruled that May Donahue was owed £200 for her pain and suffering as a result of the negligence of Mr. Stevenson. The House of Lords Judicial Committee was at that time the pinnacle of the imperial judicial system. Uh, it meant that uh, this case was then followed in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. So it very quickly became a case which was recognised uh, across the globe. Recognised across the world and replicated. Donahue v. Stevenson was used to introduce personal injury law in countless countries. Manufacturers were forced to improve their food safety and ensure they hadn't been negligent when preparing an item. Because in law, a manufacturer's consumers, whether they were rich or poor, remarkable or unremarkable, were to be considered their neighbors. And when you think that all came about because of my granny, it's quite amazing, you know. And that's what I think gets me more than anything, that the thought that my granny actually did that and had the the tenacity to take that through, declare herself a pauper, to go through with all that and to come out the other end and for the law to be changed. I mean, it's just quite amazing, really, isn't it? 
May Donahue used the compensation from the case to move from the shipyards of Glasgow to Paisley, where she opened up a fish and chip shop, creating a much more financially stable life for her and her son, Henry. However, May struggled with mental illness and died of a heart attack in 1958, not long after being admitted to Gartlock Hospital for psychiatric care. Her son grew up and went on to have Maggie and six other children. Maggie has a son and a stepson, and that sense of right and wrong and justice must have been passed down because both of them work in law. My stepson's a solicitor. He's Mike Tomlin, a lawyer in Bristol, England. When Maggie first found out about the case of the snail in the soda, she called him. Just got a call one day, and uh, she said, have you heard of of this case, Um, which obviously I had. And I said to him, Michael, do you know the story of Donahue versus Stevenson? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, that's my granny. And he didn't believe me. It was a great surprise. You know, it, as I say, it is one that that we've all heard of and dealt with and written essays based on and all of that kind of thing. So it was, yeah, to find out years later that it, it is, I've got a, a bit of a connection to it was um, was great. May winning the case set the scene for her descendants to be lawyers like Mr. Leachman. It, it's been massively important and in terms of uh, legal precedent. It completely changed the law and the responsibilities of manufacturers and suppliers and everybody, really. Buying food in the 21st century involves a huge amount of trust. We don't know the person we are buying the food from, We no longer go to the neighborhood greengrocer and see him weighing out the flour in front of us. Our food is hidden behind packaging and made by countless people who live far away from us. But in this most intimate act, the act of eating food, we trust that what we buy will be safe and will not harm us. And that is all thanks to Mae Donahue finding a snail in her soda and not giving up until she changed the law. This episode was inspired by an article written by Veronica Bondarenko for Narratively. This episode was written and produced by Emma Witherell and Sarah Joyner. May Donahue was played by Neve McIntosh. Walter Leachman by James Bryce. Additional acting by Olivia Adams, Michael Eaves, Gregory Ledbetter, Anthony Howe, Rihanna McGreevy, Stuart Thompson, and Stephen Lancaster. Script reading from Matilda James and Eleanor Geddes. Proof is hosted and produced by me, Bridget Lancaster. Our executive producer is Caitlin Kelleher. Sarah Joyner is our managing producer. Associate producer, Caroline Rickert. Scoring sound design and mixing by Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composed our theme music. Additional music by Kyle Forrester and Jordan Pearson. Post-production supervisor is Hen Margolis. Our production manager is Diane Knox. Jack Bishop is Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen. David Nussbaum is our CEO. Thanks again to our sponsors, Kohler, OXO, NakedWines.com, Ocean Spray, and Miyoko's Creamery. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.